Y'all ready to rock? Awesome. I'm Chris White, writer and director of the coming-of-age music movie, Electric Jesus, a story set in a world that might seem like a foreign planet to some people. Electric Jesus, the music behind the movie, is your VIP backstage pass into this crazy world. And in the immortal words of Skip Wick, our Christian rock huckster with feet of clay and a bad toupee, The Rock and Roll Road Show. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Episode 8, Making a Band, Finding a Voice, and Discovering the Perfect Song. John, this week, I, I, I thought it was fitting because we've, we've gone on this journey, this behind-the-scenes tour of, uh, of this world, but I, I kind of thought it would be fitting to bring it back to the, the world, the, the movie world, the Electric Jesus world. And, and how all these influences, all these people we've been talking to, kind of came to play and, and resulted in this, <laughs> and this band called 316 and all the music around it uh, that is the movie Electric Jesus. Yeah, and it, it's fun because those of us who have started bands, most of us have tried many times or we've, you know, we've been in multiple bands and stuff. And so we've got some people here who have been in real bands and you've been able to create a band out of whole cloth like from your imagination and but using real musicians to do it it's really fun to kind of hear about, about this and i'm excited to yeah well and it's all uh we've we've heard from him throughout the podcast but uh today i thought it'd be fun to to really jump in with our composer our song uh my songwriting uh collaborator daniel smith and um if you don't know anything about danielson it, it's 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 a good place to start to hear about Daniel's maybe best known band, which is bears his name, Danielson Family, which he started when he was in college with his little brothers and sisters. It's fun to to have this conversation with uh, somebody who's involved with you in making the music for the movie, but also has his own history in forming multiple different bands. And he's bringing in a guy who he was making music with and hanging out with as a kid in the 80s listening to heavy metal music so um daniel smith is going to be talking with us today along with uh, the guy who played a lot of the heavy metal guitars in this record on the soundtrack and helped with this soundtrack john montgomery so it's just kind of we're bringing all of the, the it's that old blues brothers thing we're bringing the band back together here today oh yeah we got we got wyatt linhart the lead singer with us this week and uh, of course shannon hutchinson as well who plays Sarah in the movie? So we're giving you some singers. We're putting some front men in there too to make it make it uh, entertaining. But yeah, it's really interesting conversation that really starts going back to Daniel Smith and talking to Daniel Smith about how do you put a band together. The amazing thing about playing with my brothers and sisters was um, 
it, it was it was related to kind of going away to college and coming back home and reconnecting and, and kind of starting a new relationship with them. And the band was kind of the excuse to hang out. And fairly quickly, we because Tooth and Nail put out the first album in '95, we managed to get some shows and get some publicity. So we were really fortunate that way where we had opportunities pretty much right away. So we had reasons to practice and reasons to, practical reasons to, to you know, we have the show coming up or we have, we actually have an album contract. So it was a combination of a desire to reconnect with them from the conceptual side. It was exciting to um, kind of be the new avant-garde Carter family or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> The the family band um, is definitely the a, a unique story, but one that was based on a relationship with my siblings and and really rooted in you know just the tradition of our father being a, a songwriter and us all growing up with music in the house our entire lives. Daniel, let me ask you this. When you've produced bands and bands have come through your studio, are there some pieces of a band that just need to be there that you would say, like, if we got this and this and maybe a little bit of this, then the band might be good? Is it that formulaic or is it just strange and magical? People just show up and, oh my gosh, this is great. I never would have thought that would be great. Yeah, I mean... I don't think about it in, in any kind of formula. It could, it could be one person playing an mm-hmm. instrument and that blows me away. My personal philosophy is it's about the songs and where the songs come from in terms of how believable they are. And then the people around the songs who are, who are participating in, in whatever instrument they're playing or whatever ideas they have to support the song. And that comes from, again, growing up with my dad being an old gospel folk songwriter. And he would always, always say, it's about the song, it's about the melody, it's about the lyrics and, you know, and there doesn't have to be a traditional interpretation of what that means. You know, that could mm-hmm. sound like anything. It doesn't have to sound like folk music to, to, to be interested in melody, to be interested in rhythm, to be interested in song structure. Because you can, you can be interested in those things and push, push against it, too. So for me, it's, it's really about what I love about making music, but also w- probably just as much working with musicians, whether I'm producing, engineering, is, um, yeah, the relationships with the people, with each other, and with the song, the music, whatever you want to call it, kind of the foundation of the heart of, of the piece of music. And then I try to, as a, when I'm in a producer role, and people want my opinions, I try to not give opinions for as long as possible and just kind of let things ride, let things go. And kind of preserve the, um, because I appreciate this when I'm working with a producer on my own music, I appreciate an outside perspective that I can't possibly have. 
it's nice to have somebody who you trust and you want to hear what they think and they're hearing it for the first time. So I try to be that, you know, when I'm on this side of the glass and I appreciate it when I'm on the other side and I have somebody I trust to to kind of just give, you know, and it's and and it's nice to be with people who don't feel like they need to give opinions unless it's helpful. How did you approach this in terms of the musicians that are going to play the parts? How are they going to play the parts? How are you going to make this sound like an actual band uh, so that when you go to make the movie, this doesn't just feel like studio musicians uh, phoning in really cool parts? Yeah, well, it started with 316. And these were characters that Chris created. And when we were talking about Chris and I just discussing the band itself, but also the individual members of the band in the story. Um, I wanted to know who this band is, and I wanted to think about, I, I love, for example, I love that these kids are just sincere. They're doing their best. And it's a combination of, yes, they're, they probably weren't that skilled. <laughs> they, were, they weren't on the skill level of the musicians I hired, but that was that was part of the joke too. That was part of the, that we were having fun with, well, let's let's make the band way better than they probably were. So we weren't, because it was a memory, we weren't hung up on trying, you know, because early on, there was still kind of a conversation about that. Should this band sound clunky? Should they sound as, you know, like a bunch of teenagers who were still figuring it out, who've never been in a studio before, who, who were just kind of, have, you know, only played church shows and summer camps and things like that. They're gonna sound a certain way and it's going to sound jokey and it's going to sound it'll it'll be ha ha funny but that's not really very interesting that's what you expect who did you find and how did you talk to the people you found about getting these parts to sound right and how did you go into the studio and make this stuff sound the way in your head you knew it needed to sound my childhood friend john montgomery was the the first person that i reached out to and just said you still playing guitar and he said every day so uh He's been, a, he's been, we were listening to Def Leppard together in, when we were 12. I think it was sixth, fifth or sixth grade where Def Leppard's Pyromania came out. And before that album came out, I mean, I, I was into music. I just listened to pop, you know, pop radio. But when Def Leppard Pyromania came out, that's really what just turned me on to hard rock and roll. And mm. Dan the Saint, you know, we, we both got into that album at the same time. So uh, I think we were the two biggest Def Leppard fans in the class, <laughs> you know, and that lasts for what, about a year. And then um, then we kind of went our separate ways. Like I always say, Dan went U2 and I went Ozzy from that point <laughs> forward. <laughs> Those are you know? different ways. That's for sure. <laughs> so, and yet you come back metal. together. You come back together all these years that's later. Right. Yeah. And I'll say too, we, we, we always love the Beatles throughout all that. It's interesting that I remember 
um, Def Leppard was very accessible. It was very produced. It was very slick. It was very much a pop group that just kind of had mm-hmm. some metal. So I could see why fifth graders, you know, that would be the kind of metal or the gateway into that. You, now, as a as an aficionado of metal, you know, like <laughs> when you look back as an expert uh, connoisseur, uh, how do you see, and, and you're approaching a project like this, how does a band like Def Leppard speak into how you approach playing stuff like 316? Huge. I think their first three albums are just brilliant songwriting. Really is brilliant. The thing about Def Leppard that I thought separated them from any of the other uh, hair bands was their use of two guitar players. Uh, a lot of these bands did the harmony thing to two guitar players, but they were always like, you know, one-line melodies, where Def Leppard took it to a different degree. They, they did chord harmonies. You pulled that into the into the way that you helped to Absolutely. with this stuff. Can you give me some example? Like, yeah. uh, either of you, Daniel or John, can you think of one song in particular that when you sat down and started working on that song, something clicked and you were you found the rosetta stone for it and and it and it it just started exploding for you and the fireworks started to go off and it was just like being a kid again in a metal band i think what you're talking about we definitely we applied to commando right yeah as far as the guitar the guitar yeah, har- uh, the the, the chord, chord, harmony. chord harmonies and that that mm-hmm. blew me away when you 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 were talking about that and you started to apply that to that song during the verse, during the whole verse pattern for Commando, it's all guitar harmony, chord harmony. Yep. So huge, hugely influenced by Def Leppard right there. <laughs> so how fun was that? Um, just were you sitting there in the in the studio or at home, just kind of like kids in a band again, just starting uh, and from it, scratch? Me and Dan in his studio, absolutely. And the the, the rhythm tracks, I think what, that seems like so long ago now. Wasn't it like 2017 we recorded the basic rhythm tracks for this that, song? That's probably right, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep, but yep. yeah, I remember, you know, laying them down the first day, and then, you know, we went out, grabbed something to eat, and we just couldn't stop talking about it. I thought it just, everything just fell into place, you know, it just... Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, I mean, we were just, both of us, like, method actors for hair metal. <laughs> I mean, I just went back, and all I was listening to was Def Leppard and Rat and everything, just just to get myself back into that vibe. Same. Pretty yep. cool. Absolutely. Daniel, do you think that there's something about uh, you know the bands that you have been in, with the exception of possibly the Steve Taylor project, but maybe there's some similarity in in that appeal of that. Those were all all, all the other projects were things you were clearly in charge of, and it was your creative vision. Um, and you've said that you kind of got your brothers and sisters to to do you know what you needed them to do so that you could realize <laughs> yeah. your creative vision. Whereas here it sounds like 
you kind of needed a partner to to push against and to to make this thing all it could be and that's that's really what a band is versus a solo artist who hires studio musicians you kind of you guys kind of zeroed in on something that that got to be more like an actual band by you surrendering a little bit of that control and letting john kind of come in and push and say actually here here's here's a technique here's something that you might not even think of oh totally yeah i mean i i i uh when I wrote the song, it was, you know, chords and melodies the way I write anything, um, trying to make it, you know, ha- have strong, uh, strong parts. But it, I, I don't know, it probably just sounded, probably sounded like something Kurt Cobain would write. <laughs> Cause yeah, he had me come in and metalize them. <laughs> so John came in and he, he brought that, <laughs> he brought his guitar in and, and metalized it. <laughs> Lord, Wyatt Leonard, you're you're uh, you've got musical background. You 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 clearly are a singer, but when when you heard these tracks that Daniel had produced, and you knew, okay, I'm gonna be wearing these pants, <laughs> as it were. I'm gonna step behind this microphone and I'm gonna have to sing like this. Uh, what was that like? Like, how did you prepare for this, and how did you uh, do it so convincingly? Lots of praying (laughs) um i so i i got the scratch tracks that i practiced with and my mom is a vocal teacher and for the first time in my life i asked her to give me voice lessons (laughs) because i didn't know if i could hit some of these notes or if i could do it without hurting my voice um but i was i was uh scared until we finished recording it was nerve-wracking. I mean, they're really difficult songs to sing and to have the kind of background and depth to the vocal tracks that they were looking for was something that I was uh, really apprehensive about. Mm-hmm. So when you were actually in the studio doing it, and I'd love to hear you guys talk to each other about it and kind of reminisce, uh, uh, but Wyatt, when you stepped up to the microphone and started singing how did it go like how did it sound in your headphones how did it feel in your gut when you were when you were doing that it's the first time i'd really recorded in a in a really nice studio i mean all the stuff that i'd done in college and and just kind of out of my house was kind of really just home studios and i I, the first song i think we recorded was girl i remember i was like okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna put all my power into my voice and i'm gonna make this as like just full as possible. And we finished the first verse and chorus. And then I remember Daniel was like, okay, now for this next one, we need more power, more volume. (laughs) And I was like, oh no. (laughs) So uh, the other challenge I would imagine is finding a way to sing this stuff so seriously that is also so funny so um that there's an art to that as well so how do you approach that and chris you know speak into that as well as the director are you directing 
the recording because there's acting going on isn't there um in in the recording of these things as well yeah but you don't play comedy i mean you just play serious i mean the funniest i mean the way to play something funny is to take it extremely seriously so Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's what um uh and and also the comedy is probably more in the lyrics i think in wyatt's performance in the movie the more he leans into the sincerity, the more it brings out the some of the comedy in the lyrics. So, I mean, just directing was like, this is the most important thing you've ever sung at the most important time. Yeah, because your character is, is not laughing. Your character is 100% sincere. The way that I approached it was just as serious as possible. You know, like it was almost ironic that I didn't, I didn't understand the humor in the lyrics and kind of the situation that made it funny. So got a question for shannon have you ever been in a band before i have never been in a band before i tried to be a band with my sisters i even took i would try to follow uh daniel's lead couldn't do it they didn't want anything to do with it <laughs> i guess i definitely had groups of people who we would constantly do creative things i guess okay. I, that's that's close to a band like if we break down the definition of a band let me ask you this how did you prepare for the studio uh, to sing Sarah's songs in Daniel's studio up in South Jersey. How did you get ready to to record? Because you had to record This World Is Not My Home. Um, and that was up there in the studio. How did that go? Um, mostly how I do everything and practice everything is just uh, recording it myself, listening to it over, and just seeing everything that needs to be fixed. And, and luckily, Daniel gave a rehearsal track. Uh, so that's that's... I was, all my preparation was just recording it, listening to it again, re-recording it, listening to it again um, until the day came and still very, very nervous. But um, in the end, it worked out. I think, I think in the end, all of my vocals ended up being uh, live on the day. I don't know if maybe it was mixed in a little bit of my studio stuff. No, it's, but it was all it was two, two live takes that were mixed back and forth from from the day of shooting that ended up on the record. You're up, let's go. Please welcome to the pride of Anniston, Alabama, Miss Sarah Wimber. We're gonna play a little song my mama used to really like, although I'm not quite sure she'd enjoy this arrangement. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This was inspired by my love of the movie The Commitments, um, that The Commitments uh, recorded 
singers live on the day, which is hard to do in a, because there's the, the audio from the playback is coming in. There's actors in the rooms. I mean, think about it. There's drummers that are making loud noises. Like, how do you take a vocal, isolate it, and record it live? We all would rather see live vocals because it, it doesn't look like people lip syncing. But that was something we were trying to do with the vocals. And um, well, how was it different when you were, I mean, it was it was a long time after we had recorded in the studio, but, but, how, but how was the recording um, process, singing live on the day? Was it, was it easier? Was it less nerve wracking? Was it more? What was it like recording on the day? I think it was way less nerve wracking simply because you're, you have an audience cheering you on. <laughs> Your biggest fans are right there. <laughs> you, there wasn't like when you're in the studio, it's just all the uh, monitoring in your, in your earpiece. You hear every single thing that you're saying right then and there. Um, that's, that's definitely, I think the most nerve wracking part is hearing everything so crisp and clear right in your ear. I think it's super helpful, but um and and just performing on stage, uh, it's it was just you're going. This is this is the time. You can't. You just you're just going with it. Everyone's jamming out. Everyone's having a great time, and you're just in the moment. Plus, you're plus. I was acting. I was acting too. So mm-hmm. if you don't act nervous, then you're not as nervous. And I yeah. acted like I was a good singer. Who knew what I was doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so we believed it. We believed it. What about you, Wyatt? You were singing live too. What was what was that like? Was it easier than like Shannon saying, more difficult? How did you find it to be? Um, I found it to be more difficult uh, doing it live simply because they're difficult songs, and so I can't just close my eyes and you know hold my headphone to my ear and find the note. You know, I have to give a live performance to the camera as well and so you know doing two things at once was it was, it was hard i mean i and and being tied to the microphone as a performer um mm. is also difficult to kind of have that big energy of like, yeah. the lead singer um but to be kind of locked into one place mm. That's that great. is true you did have to be like more conscious of where you're facing and making sure even though you are acting and you're on stage having fun that like you are actually giving a good vocal take to the microphone. Yeah. And and what about you Daniel? You're producing both. You produce the studio versions of the song, you produce them live. What mm-hmm. what are you listening to? What are you hearing? What are you how are you processing these these performances? The, the studio version of all these songs I'm I'm used to recording like that. You know, we do many takes, comp them together, and we get uh, the results we want. The, so that all happened before we shot, of course. And then we had this absurd idea. <laughs> you, you had this abs- absurd idea. No, it was great. I, I liked the idea a lot. It was really fun to try it. Um, and it worked sometimes and sometimes it didn't. And we knew that. We knew that some of it was going to work. And in Wyatt's defense, some of those high notes and he's he's strumming the the guitar and acting and and you know having to move certain ways towards the camera and all that was really difficult and we were able to use a percentage i don't remember what it was but we were able to use some of why it's uh live recording um but i i was surprised we were able to use any of it because it was that was such a difficult thing um and I, i think for for shannon you were able to 
I think you were able to kind of stand still a little bit easier, like for whatever reason, and you were able to kind of just like, it was in the take for you to be looking at the audience and mm -hmm. be, you know, in front of the microphone and it, and it worked really well. Uh, and also the, the, the kind of like strumming you're doing with, with the acoustic, um, I, it just, it worked really well. So I think it just depends on the type of song, whether that's going to work or not. Um, but it was fun to try and, and it was, uh, Fun to be off to the side with my laptop, <laughs> recording these, you know, hitting playback and recording the vocal uh, at the same time. It was super exciting. And uh, so that was unusual for me. I've never done that before, but, but now I know how to do it. Is there any chance that we could see 316 play live? Like, is, is that something that, uh, that you've thought about, uh, taking these songs and, and doing them for a crowd? Chris? Oh, is everybody looking at me? <laughs> um, there's what, been some discussion. What can there's, we say? There's been some discussion, and um, it would be a really wonderful announcement to make if I could make it officially right now, but I'm not going to make it, but I think there could be an opportunity to see 316 and Sarah Wimber, a.k.a. Shannon Hutchinson, mm -hmm. play in front of a live audience. So uh, That would be I, fun. I'm, I'm going to be very coy about it. But say yes, <laughs> I would love it. You'd be down though, Wyatt. You'd be up for some oh, yeah. songs again. <laughs> Don't toss us away so thoughtlessly. Just ain't right. Oh, can't you see? Darling, please don't toss us away. This song, Don't Toss Us Away, becomes a really prominent, I mean, that's a, that's a key song that we hear quite a bit. But at what point in the process of the story coming to you did that song take on such a life for you and what was it about that song that that was so important to you i i can still remember when i was writing electric jesus in my basement office and i had set up you know my laptop and everything and i had brought down my turntable and set it up there so i could listen to i had found a bunch of old christian records that i had and and some non-christian records i just found my old records basically and one of the records was Lone Justice, which was this band in the 80s that Maria McKee was the, 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 the lead singer for. And um, their first record, which I think is called Lone Justice. Right. Um, and and not I, a, I remember... Not a Christian band per se, just a mainstream band, but had a lot of Christian Well, were they... I mean, was there of. some kind of Christian aspect to that band, Lone Justice? Why, why do I... Why did I have that... With my Christian records, I guess. Is yeah, I always heard that too. Yeah. yeah, they had a lot of they had a lot of gospel overtones to their stuff, and she had a strong um, Christian background and presence to her stuff. And uh, but they were not a Christian market 
uh, band at all. And Marvin Etzioni, who was one of the other members of the band, a uh, very strong uh, Jewish person who brought a lot of his spirituality into the songs as well. So they were okay. just a they were a great Southern California. Before they called it Americana, that some people called it cow punk. Mm. It was that kind of blend of yeah, country yeah. and and punk and um, right. And they were on like Geffen, so they were yes, like right. a real you know regular. Anyway, I'm I'm listening to that record, and I'm not sure. I, I just remember when that song "Don't Toss Us Away" came on in the tracking of that record. I think it's the last song on the first side, but don't hold me to that. But I heard the song and uh, it slows down because it, it is kind of Americana cowpunk. And then it turns into this really lonesome ballad. Um, and I think the song, you know, maybe on the face of it is about a relationship where the woman singing is, is saying to the other person in the relationship, like, let's just don't end this. There's too much. We've invested too much in this, that kind of thing. And then it just struck me. I don't know if I don't remember what scene I was writing in the movie, but I thought, I think this is Sarah's voice. I think Sarah is saying something about "Don't toss me away." That was it. And so um, I just kind of played that song about fifty times. <laughs> um, something about the song just felt like it was the theme of the movie. And it wasn't just Sarah saying, don't throw me away. It was something about that world. I'm so suspicious of, of nostalgia and sentimentality. Like, I, I think it's a trick. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm super suspicious of it. But a part of going back to my youth group days was like, what does this all mean? And, you know, should this all be thrown away? And, and Maria McKee was, and Lone Justice were singing, don't toss us away. So it became like kind of the heart of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, and then I started thinking of Sarah as Maria McKee before she was in Low Justice. It just was like, oh, you know, so maybe this this girl that they meet on the road is kind of like her. And, and I imagine that probably Sarah uh, had that record. So now I'm asking once again on a stand my friend Oh, it hurts so bad I think you'd go still say I love you so Shannon, was Maria McKee on your radar at all? Um, prior to, uh, I never, to I never heard of Maria McKee before Chris mentioned it as, as an inspiration for the role. Um, I was I wasn't too into into music, and I, I don't think I've ever listened to anything really kind of that like cow punk in that kind of genre. Um, but, but yeah, I had never I never listened to I had never heard of Maria McKee before. But the first time I listened to her, I just thought, like, wow, this is this is beyond definitely beyond a song this is just like seeing a person and feeling what they're feeling and it doesn't matter the song (laughs) it's like a cry in the voice yeah she does have that that power that song and that style kind of informed how you even imagined the character to an extent right didn't didn't some of the pictures and some of the uh this that song help you imagine like what you thought maria mckee might have been like kind of help you imagine sarah a bit too for sure absolutely and i must say that i was as soon as i saw maria mckee 
as the inspiration. I was like, oh, I'm getting this far. I was like, I can be her. <laughs> she looks just like me. <laughs> but I mean, just like the big hair, the like brooding look. And just like, again, when she sings, it's just, it's, it's like this super, super soulful sound. That was probably the most informing thing. It's just, oh, this isn't about like the song. This is about her and what she can do with it. I remember when uh, we got to set and we started dressing you, uh, Beverly, uh, our costumer, I had given her some pictures and videos of Maria McKee performing. And Maria, Maria McKee had that, it was kind of an 80s, you know, a prairie dress and combat boots. And I kept saying that to Beverly. <laughs> she's, she's wearing a prairie dress and combat boots. And uh, when Sarah, Sarah has her breakout moment, when she sings This World's Not My Home, she's wearing a prairie dress and, and boots, you know? So I think, I think that um, we, we, you know, you steal from the best. I remember during the initial audition, um, you would like pulled me aside and you were like, you had, you initially said in the audition, you're like, okay, just have this song prepared, know this song, it was Don't Toss Us Away. And that was something you pulled me aside and you're like, okay, uh, well, first of all, you were like, can you play this song? I was like, give me a second, I, not yet, I have to say no. <laughs> Only the said, okay, guitar, just sing it. acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah on the acoustic guitar. I brought a guitar, but I was like, I, I, sorry, this is all fake, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the first time I heard your voice, Shannon, was singing that, just acapella. Maybe just some phone recording or something and then I did I, have a video I sent in and then you sang it a thousand times at the Buford Film Festival on the streets yeah that's right that's right we did um so we I think we went down to the Buford International Film Festival and that was the first time we had a table read of the movie but we sent uh Shannon and Wyatt and um who plays Michael in the movie and uh Caleb who plays Scotty in the movie we sent them out a little street busking and you guys just sang it over and over, and it started getting really good. I like to really think that good. was. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I think, to think that was the inspiration for the whole that part of the movie where we sing it on the street because mm -hmm. we kind of we a little bit made it our own during that totally. weekend, and then I think you added that scene. I don't think I sang yes, or I didn't sing right. that much, and it's just like the version we had sort of created that weekend. <laughs> yeah, exa yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when they when Skip finds you know when they find that uh, Sarah stowed away with the band and Skip's all mad and. Eric says, hey, she can sing, and then they play it. That was pretty much the busking version of uh, Don't Toss Sweat. Yep, it had street cred. Hey, Skip. She can sing. She could open for the band. I mean, she's really good. Yeah, she's awesome. Hey, sing that song from last night. I do not want to hear her sing. Yes, you do. Well, it seems that everyone we've known Their love has grown cold, hearts turn to stone One by one they break, it's such a shame And now you say you wanna do the same Well, don't toss us away so thoughtlessly just staying right Oh, can't you see I still love you I want you to stay Darling, please Don't toss us away 
Without giving away any spoilers, there's a version of the song on the album where we hear a more mature Sarah singing this song. And a different person was brought in to sing that. And Daniel, you actually recorded that, but Shannon, you got to be a part of that as well. So I want to hear this story because that singer is a powerhouse as well. Uh, So tell me about recording the album version of Don't Toss Us Away. I will never forget uh, Fleming McWilliams coming downstairs being like, ah, yes, I was just like doing the dishes or something. She's like, what am I singing? Oh, okay, this song? All right, all right. And she's like, sorry, I'm a little sick. And then she like sings it like one take, beautiful, amazing. Everyone in the room is like, their jaw is on the floor. Like, oh my gosh, that is incredible. That is beautiful. That is amazing. And, and she could literally like, drop the mic and walk out, but she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> John would be pretty upset if she did that. So this amazing. is Fleming McWilliams and, of Fleming and John fame. So John Mark Painter and Fleming McWilliams had, have an amazing band together, duo called Fleming and John. And Fleming is an astonishing singer. She's a professional she teaches people how to sing but shannon you got to sing with her on this recording as well right you kind of got to participate i did a and it bit. was very nerve-wracking <laughs> to go after that but she's one of the sweetest people you could possibly of course be of course by, right? she's so nice yeah but i sang just like a little uh backup vocal just like some ooze in the background um i think it's a great great wraparound yeah. Mm-hmm. So Daniel, how did you how did you approach that as a producer and you know, how did you try to get inside that version? Well, I didn't have to do too much. She already loved the song and she was excited about it. Um the only thing I take credit for was the idea of <laughs> asking her. <laughs> oh. Well, that's um, that's and, a great idea. And uh because I love her voice and well, I was already working with John and I love, you know, I I I remember them when I lived at Jesus People. Like they were, whatever that was, 95, they were, you know, they were up and coming, doing really well. And I remember just being super impressed with that first record. And then fast forward, getting to know John and working with him with various projects. Uh, I I hoped that would be an end (laughs) to get Fleming's attention. And it turned out she, again, she loved this song and, and it was just very natural. And so... John laid down the acoustic part, and she sang it. And at, uh, Shannon sang some, you know, some some harmony. And I think John put a harmonium down and maybe some bass, and that was it. Yeah, I, that's what know, I. Th- was I there really anything else? I don't song. remember no, anything yeah. else on there. That's one of those moments in the recording of the music. Um, and and I'm a filmmaker and a music lover, so I don't. I don't know how music is made, but I, you know, it's one of the privileges of this job is that I get to hang out when people are making music. And just like Shannon said, it was, it was just kind of a jaw dropping moment where you're in a room with such talent. You know, Daniel Smith is there. John Mark Painter's there. Fleming Williams there. Shannon Hutchinson is there. Everybody's there in service of, of recording this, this piece of music and um, if you listen to Fleming and John one of the things about Fleming's vocals when she's taking the lead because she sings professionally she sings on a lot of records she sings for a lot of artists but when she's really taking the lead she has like a freedom to her there's a fearlessness in the way she sings and where she takes uh, takes melody and where she lets melody take her 
And so just watching that live happen, watching the creativity come out of a singer like that is absolutely inspiring. I was wondering from you, Shannon, like as a singer, we hadn't shot the movie when we recorded that. I don't think so. No, we hadn't. No. No. So what did that bring to your singing as Sarah? I mean, the experience of being in the room with Fleming and how did that make you a different singer? It was so incredibly helpful. I think I really did struggle with finding the voice of it um, before then, because I, I had known this song beforehand in the years we were doing before, prior to recording uh, Fleming's version. So once I heard her do it and listened to her version, it's almost like I was like, I completely understand where this is coming from. And I think my version improved tenfold just by listening to her version just watching like this expert uh, take a hold of the meaning that she could see behind it and put her singing expertise to it. There's definitely some parts where I mimic what she did and the the trails that she takes on it, mm-hmm. which I, th- I think just make it so much better. And so I really, think that really really kind of helps it with the, with the use, the way you're using it in the film as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, that's I, a good way to put it. She chases some some trails and pathways in melody that is just with a great deal of confidence she's not exploring she's just like i think it's going to go here right now and that's stunning to witness so you know i've credit her for for my performance singing truly well just think of all that we've been through the world we were building me and you How could all those years be tossed away in just one moment, in just one day? Don't toss us away. I think just like Wyatt was there playing the guitar. I've done that with him a, a bunch so many times when we were busking. It was just, I think it was just very comforting. It was just like the old times. <laughs> But it seemed like by then you you clearly had sung that song many, many times. You knew that song by then. Yeah, and I think specifically even that version, I was like, yeah. I've got this one. Yeah. <laughs> it did have a different energy to it. Yeah, like when you're singing it in the mirror, it's so frail. And when you're singing it out there, it's desperate. Like, please don't send me home. Like, don't toss me away. Yeah. <laughs> like, let yeah. me get back yeah. on the bus. <laughs> like, and, and it had I, some, com- really, com- some right. confidence too, you know, that was, yeah. that was, yeah. that was really good. You, you singing that song in the movie is a lot of people's favorite moment of the movie. I, it may be mine. Um, but when you're singing it in the mirror, it's early in the film. And um, I remember shooting it. Um, and I remember this moment where, Brian Baumgartner had rapped for the day, but he, t- he told me he wanted to come in, he wanted to talk to you before that scene. Everybody knew that was an important scene. <laughs> I'm not sure how everybody figured <laughs> no that pressure. out. But, it was, um, but I remember him, he, he came up, it was very tight quarters, it's very small space. And he came up and said, hey, can I go talk to her? What, what did he say? I, I do remember that he went up and talked to you before. Do you have any memory of that? Yeah, I do. Uh, Brian was always the person to like make jokes, like poking fun, just being like, "Oh man, you were in that today," or "Look at this 
this guy really thinks he knows what he's doing, just like having fun with us. But like this was like a very serious moment, very uh, not like his his other moments with us where he was very much like, like you got this, you're gonna do great. You're already incredible and this is this is just gonna be a reflection of that. Well don't toss us away so thoughtlessly. Just stay right. Oh can't you see I still love you? I want you to stay. All right, Chris. So uh, here we are, man. That was that was a lot of fun. And as a person who has been in bands and still is in a band and makes music, um, but also was a kid in the '80s, uh, not a big Def Leppard fan, but still, uh, you know, a Striper fan and a Res Band fan. But um, what's it like for you uh, to to now get kind of in the kitchen and hear a little bit more about the dynamics and the chemistry of building a rock band? And and you got to do it sort of in theory as a as a script writer, and then got to do it in practice as a producer actually pulling these things together and now hearing us all kind of dissect it. What, what's it like for you, uh, you know, kind of going through this journey? Oh man. I, you know, I, I feel so fortunate for this experience of, of having done it. I would say that I'm, I've always been, I was always that kid that was trying to, if not put a band together, just put a, a team together, put a group together. You know, when I was little, you know, we, we played army in the neighborhood and, and then, um, you know, coming up, you know, I always dreamed of, you know, you'd see bands play and I would, um, the closest thing I ever had personally to an actual band experience was I was in an improv comedy group in college. And those people who I'm still good friends with all those people to this day, that was just my band, you know? And, and I think that some of the things that people talk about in bands about getting that chemistry right and, you know, who's, who's leading, who's following, um, I love some of the things that Daniel was talking about, just listening to bands play in the studio and trying to withhold his judgment, like wait, wait to g- give comments. You know, um, I can relate to that. I cannot relate to what must be the adrenaline and rush of, of just holding a, an instrument in your hands and being in front of an audience and really of any size and just the, the, uh, the, the fun of presenting rock music to people. And so, uh, feel fortunate that we built this band for the movie, but also jealous. I mean, when Shannon's talking about how energizing it was to sing in front of a live audience, even though they were paid actors, um, <laughs> um, it was, it made me like uh, envious. I, I wish I could have that experience. Yeah. Well, and, and in a way it seems to me, I was there that day when, when we had the audience there and she was singing and she was singing for real and she had a band backing her up and there was a crowd in the room, but don't, doesn't it feel kind of like, you you are also the artist and and that is your band and that crowd is really kind of 
cheering for you in a lot of ways. That's what it felt like for me watching you like, um, and really when we're, when we're doing that, when we're kids and we're starting rock bands or frankly, you know, I'm 50 years old and I'm still, you know, playing shows. It's really an excuse for us to gather. It's an, it's an excuse for community to form and for us to find our tribe and, and to, to have, uh, dialogue and find people of like minds and, and, and that kind of stuff at it on its best days. That's what a great rock show was. And honestly, when I go see you two play a huge stadium, they managed to still accomplish that. And, um, that to me was what made rock shows and, and rap shows and soul concerts and stuff special was when it felt like it was a community come together. And then there was times when it really felt like exploitation. It felt overly commercial. It felt like just a bunch of products being sold and it was, a, we disconnected, but did you kind of get a sense of that? Like this is your band and you are kind of on stage and now just the stage is a screen and, and this, this is a, just a different form of that, but community is still kind of coming together. Does it feel like that a little bit? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I do feel that. Uh, we've had the good fortune of a few times during this pandemic year to see the movie with an audience. Uh, more and more opportunities coming recently. And I got to say, you know, when you see the movie, when you see them play, it makes me want to sing at the opening of the movie. And it's uh, on a big screen with the 5.1 Dolby surround sound and an audience there. It's just, it does, um, it does kind of feel thrilling. And I also... Um, my wife, Emily, who's executive producer from the movie, we've talked about this, like watching the movie with an audience. We've seen it 50 times, 100 times, whatever. But knowing a scene's coming up and knowing something's going to happen and, and just excited, like I can't wait for people to see this next thing that's about to happen in the movie, I would imagine is akin to being playing in a band when you know like, oh, man, but this 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 song after the next one? Oh, you know, we're going to, that's going to be amazing. And, 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 and I, I do feel that as a fan, you know, like if you go hear a band at U2 as an example, and, you know, nowadays you can, you know what the set list is going to be because, you know, people are posting, you know, I saw them last night. This is what they played. So you, you kind of get, you know what the show is going to get, but the anticipation of knowing, oh, you know, they're, I think now is when they're going to play where the streets have no name or, you know, this is where pride's going to come in. That that feeling of going to see the band you love and the song you really love, and you know, crossing your fingers, and just hoping they play that song. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, I I think I do I do feel like I got to start a band with Electric Jesus. That's a that's a, a really cool feeling. That is that is a, one of the pleasures of having made the movie that um, I haven't really um, enjoyed maybe as much as I should because that it, it was amazing to to see that come together with. With um, with Daniel Smith and John Montgomery and those singers, and then of course John Mark Painter and Patrick Burkery, you know all all the different people that came together to make those songs what they are, um, is is incredible. Yeah, it's going to be fun to rock some theaters though. It's going to be great to get to see this thing with with a bunch of people because the little taste of it we've gotten so far, it's going to be awesome to to do that in person. Um, I was non-committal in the interview about getting a gig together, but we, there's, there's gotta be, I gotta hear Commando for Christ live at least some point in my life. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for pulling this all together. It's, it's, it's a lot, been a lot of fun.
That's going to do it for this episode of the Electric Jesus Podcast. For more information about the Electric Jesus Film, visit electricjesusfilm.com and make sure to sign up for the email list, also known as the G's Team. You should also check out the Electric Jesus YouTube channel and Facebook groups for great behind-the-scenes videos, updated information about the film, and more. All links are available on the show notes page. This podcast is produced by myself, John J. Thompson, and Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions and is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Everything on the Electric Jesus podcast is used by permission or under fair use provisions and with the exception of previously copywritten materials is the intellectual property of Blue Tape Records, LLC, and is protected by U.S. copyright law. Next time on the Electric Jesus podcast, we've talked to some of the trench warriors of Jesus music and heavenly metal and some cultural commentators about the ins and outs of the strange but sometimes wonderful world of Christian music in the 80s. And we've let you in on our own creative musical process. But what must it have been like for the artist who made it to the highest levels of the firmament in Christian rock? Two of the legends who loomed largest over the world of Electric Jesus, Michael Sweet of Striper and Amy Grant herself. I did not participate in a community that was blowing a lot of smoke up my skirt. You know, I'm the youngest of four daughters in my family. Now we're all grown. My parents have passed on. But whatever I was doing was just tucked right in there with what everybody else was doing and not given more or less importance. But my family was not waiting for me to experience success so they could all have a reason for being there was just no priority given to that. And so it never occurred to me that priority was given to that by somebody I didn't know. Join us to share their thoughts on the truth behind the rumors, the glamour, the spandex, and the celebrity. And we may have another surprise guest waiting in the wings as well. It'll be a star-studded finale to season one next time on the Electric Jesus Podcast. Gonna have me a white meat feast, living large as befits the beast. Disfurtive scritch scratch, dropping that crotch crutch, looking for a slick lick. I ain't asking for much. <laughs> <laughs>